Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 13th episode of Heavier Than I Look, which is a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kiruso, and I'm your host. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Aggie here, who is actually a good friend of mine. Uh, she also goes to Notre Dame. And Aggie, if you would just like to introduce yourself a little bit, you could do the Notre Dame intro or whatever you feel like you want to share with our audience today. That would be great. Yeah, for sure. Hi, guys. I'm so excited to be here today. Um, as Kira said, my name is Aggie. Um, I'm a senior and I lived in Pascola West Hall when I was on campus and now I'm off campus. I'm originally from Chicago and I'm studying psychology and then I also have a minor in poverty studies. So there's my little ND intro. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Aggie. We met, just a little backstory for everybody who's listening, we actually met through a mutual friend who kind of put us in contact with each, with one another because she was aware of the work that both of us were doing um, in terms of like eating disorder prevention and awareness, and um, she connected the both of us, and we actually got lunch together. I think it was in the in October in the November or in October, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but yeah, so, and it was great. And we just ended up like talking for a long time about a range of different issues. And I asked her if she would like to be on the podcast and she was super supportive and encouraging and um, wanted to, you know, share more about the stuff that she's doing and her story. So um, I'm so excited that you're here today. And I think it's really cool too that, you know, you also are, are at Notre Dame and I think a lot of our listeners go to Notre Dame. So just hearing, you know, from someone who is also there doing a lot of work in, in um, the eating disorder world is, is, pretty, is pretty amazing. So thank you again for, for spending the time today. Of course. Thank you. And yeah, super cool how we met. I mean, those connections, man, they get you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I guess I'll just kind of dive into yeah. a little bit um, of my story and like why I was excited to be on this podcast and share what I'm doing um, on Notre Dame's campus and stuff like that. Um, so I uh, struggled with an eating disorder um, beginning my sophomore year of college, I would say it was like when it really spiraled like out of control, but I've definitely always struggled with body image issues and like kind of micromanaging like food and like exercise and stuff like that. Um, in sophomore year, I was just feeling like really alone and I wasn't really sure like where my life was going and what I was passionate about. And I think it really like turned into this pursuit of like um, health and like, what can I do to be healthy? And like, kind of like trying to perfect like my health and have this perfect like fitness routine and this perfect like eating routine and stuff like that. Um, and I totally thought that was normal. I was like, wow, I'm like doing a great job. Like, I'm just like eating all these healthy foods and like, I'm super good about working out every day and stuff like that. And like, I just feel like that's totally normalized in our society. Um, but before I knew it, like food and exercise were all I could think about. Um, and I was like, this is not normal. Like <laughs> I cannot like focus on schoolwork. Like I sleep terribly. Like I'm cold all the time. Like my hair's thinning. Like I was just experiencing like all these like side effects of like being consumed with food and exercise. So that really like characterized my eating disorder. Um, and yeah, it was just a very low point for me. Um, and it was really a, a serious thing. Like I did lose a lot of weight very quickly. 
Um, and after my sophomore year, um, the summer before going into junior year, I was um, admitted to a residential treatment facility, um, which was just very intense. And like literally before my experience, like I just knew nothing about eating disorders, which is like one reason like I'm so passionate about spreading awareness about them now is because I think like they're just a very like a thing that a lot of people like aren't really educated about. So like I'm really passionate about spreading awareness about them. Um, but anyways, yeah. So like the summer going into my junior year, I was admitted to residential treatment, which I didn't know what that was before. So I'm just going to explain it really quickly. It's basically 24 hour care. Like you're living at a facility, like they're like feeding you. It's like, it's really intense. Um, but yeah, it was like really what I needed. Um, and I went through that program and the friendships I formed with the other girls, like in that program were amazing. Like, it was just like really humbling for me to realize that like, I'm not alone in this. Um, so that's like another thing that I just like really want to spread to people is like, if you're struggling with these things, you're really not alone. And there is hope that it's going to get better. Um, so yeah, so I did that program and I came back to Notre Dame um, and I was still having a bit of a hard time, like definitely doing better, um, but I don't know, still struggling. So that was kind of fall semester, like I was still struggling a little bit. And then se second semester of junior year, I was supposed to study abroad. Um, and I knew that if I wanted to study abroad, like I really had to fully commit myself to recovery. So this was when I really yeah, I just went head on into recovery and was like, I need to do everything that scares me with recovery, like eat all these foods that I don't want to do. Like, I'm going to stop working out for like, as long as I need to before, like, I feel better, like all this stuff. So I just went all in really to recovery. And that was the greatest thing ever, like being able to like fully experience my time abroad, even though it was cut short. Um, but yeah, it just like really helps me realize there's so much more to life than this. So when I came home or when I was sent home in quarantine, I like knew I wanted to continue pursuing recovery and like a really tangible way for me to do that is to like spread awareness about eating disorders. I think like just because it's a struggle that's so personal to me, like I am really passionate about just like spreading awareness about them and doing tangible things to yeah, spread awareness about them and like prevent and treat them and stuff like that. So I actually discovered this organ, I'm going on such a tangent right now. Oh, <laughs> I discovered, I discovered um, this organization called The Body Positive. Um, and what they do is they have like this eight week curriculum that can be implemented in like different contexts, like in one of those contexts is college campuses. So I discovered this organization and I was like, wow, this is like so awesome. Like they're just all about preventing eating disorders, like emphasizing that there's so much more to life than like, food and exercise and like hating your body. Like there's just so much more to life than being consumed by these things. Um, so they really help you find like a greater sense of meaning and purpose. And that's like the whole point of the curriculum. Um, and like just learning to love yourself really, which was such a foreign concept to me. Um, so yeah, I like went through this facilitator training through the body positive And like a lot of it was like my own internal work and like yeah, like really learning to love myself, which is like a crazy thing. But like, I can say today that I love myself and like, I definitely could not have said that a year ago. So that's pretty cool, honestly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I did, that was the first part of the facilitator training. And the second part was like learning to facilitate groups and like really figuring out how to like get this started, like 
on college campuses. So yeah, like I did like a lot of work over the summer um, to reach out to people at Notre Dame and like try and get this program started at Notre Dame. And like, no one was really willing to like take it on like as a full blown initiative. So I kind of just like piloted the program like independently at Notre Dame this fall. And I led two groups of like about 10 to 12 people. Um, they were dropping. So it kind of varied the numbers, each group, but yeah, they were eight weeks and like people really like got a lot out of them, I think. And like, I loved leading the groups and like, it's just so inspiring to be surrounded by strong people who don't realize how awesome they are, but then like witnessing the transformation in them as they realize how awesome they are. It was just like really, really great. And also, yeah, just like helping people realize that like, they're not alone in these struggles. Like, I think like these struggles, like really thrive, like in isolation and like, can like bring about like a lot of shame, like, oh, like, why am I struggling with this? Like, I'm not enough. Like, I'm so weak or something like that. And like that shame, like really thrives in isolation. And when you speak that shame and realize that other people are struggling with the exact same thing, you realize you're not alone and it's like really empowering. So that was really cool this fall to do at Notre Dame. Um, yeah. So that was a lot, <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and the work that you, a little bit of the work that you do now. I think that was really inspiring to hear. And I'm really honored that you've shared, shared it with, you know, our HTIL audience. Um, cause I think, like you said, it's something that's you know, really not talked about. And same here, I did not know what an eating disorder was before I got one. And then it just kind of, yeah. And then it just catapults your world into a completely different one. And, um, I'm so appreciative that you feel, um, like you feel driven to, to work on eating disorder prevention and treatment. And I think that's wonderful. And something, a couple of things I'm, I'm curious about and want to um, want to hear more from you about is number one, how have like your struggles kind of informed your leadership? Because clearly, like you said, you know, you're part of the body positive and you, you lead these groups of people who are, I'm sure looking for some kind of, you know, validation, some kind of help in figuring out their self-worth and, um, how is your role as a leader helping these people, inspiring these people, how has that role kind of been um, informed by your own struggles? Definitely. I think like my own struggles have totally, totally informed that role. Like I think like in leading the groups, um, like I do have a lot of empathy for like the struggles that others are going through because I can totally relate. And like, it's really important to me that I validate everything that other people bring to the space. Um, even if I haven't like felt the same way myself, like but I think like that my struggle has really informed that and that like, I really want people to know they're not alone in these feelings. Like, um, so I think that's one way. Um, and then also just another thing like modeling vulnerability. Like, I think I really share like a lot about my own personal experiences. Um, and I think like modeling that vulnerability encourages others to be vulnerable as well um, and share their own um, stories. So I think that's definitely a way in which my leadership has been informed by my personal struggles because I'm very open about 
my personal struggles. And I think that encourages others to also be open. Wow. I love that. I love that idea of like through empathy, kind of modeling vulnerability and allowing others the space to talk when you yourself talk about your struggles. And I'm curious about what that was like, kind of finding your own voice to speak to these things, speak to these dark moments, you know, after, after going through them and also not only like speaking these things to yourself, but speaking them in front of a room who are kind of, you know, 10, 12 people, like you said, who are just kind of staring at you, like seeking guidance in some way. Like what, what is that like? What's that experience like? Yeah. Oh brother. It's scary. (laughs) It's so scary. Honestly, like, I mean, it's just scary because it's like, you're not sure how it's going to be received. Like I know, like when I first started the groups, I was like, I have no idea. Like if anyone's going to get anything out of this, like, I just have no idea. Um, and so that's just really, really scary. But I also think like, it's so freeing and so like just empowering to just like get everything out in the open. And like, yeah, I mean, I just like really think like all these negative feelings, like I just say this all the time, but like all these negative emotional experiences, like all this shame, like it just like loses all of its power when you just get it out in the open and you just speak it and you realize you're not alone. And like, that's just like truly what happened with this group. Like I, it was so scary putting myself out there, but like once I did and shared my experiences and like, like received from other people, like amazing feedback and like their own experiences that they've gone through similar things. Like I just really realized that like I wasn't alone. So I just think that's super empowering and we're all in this together, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. And I think I can, like that really resonates with me. I can relate to that. I know in terms of my eating disorder and a lot of people, when they talk about eating disorders, they talk about like this voice in your head, like an eating disorder voice. And for so many, you know, years, it kind of takes over your entire life and it becomes the voice by which you live. And it's a very negative, toxic, self-defeating, self-critical voice. But that's kind of what makes it that much more empowering when you prioritize like your own voice above the eating disorder voice. Um, And I think that's what you did you know through this group and what you continue to do by being here today so thank you for for being willing to do that oh my gosh of course thank you for that I think there's so much truth to that like definitely like in a lot of my recovery work like I've like written like many like conversations between like my eating disorder voice and like my healthy voice and like stuff like that like in doing everything I can to like strengthen my healthy voice and like make that stronger than my eating disorder voice. Like, I totally think like, yeah, this, my experiences this fall, have like definitely contributed to strengthening my healthy voice. So I think there's so much truth to what you just said. Yeah. I'm curious about the intersection about your story, um, specifically with like your struggles with an eating disorder and being on a college campus. Because I remember during our first conversation, that was kind of a theme that was prevalent. And um, I think it deserves more time and more, you know, voices to it than it's given in terms of eating disorders on college campuses, because they're so prevalent. And we don't realize how prevalent they are. And so I'm curious about your experience, having had an eating disorder on a college campus, 
and also, you know, working against eating disorders on a college campus, on that same college campus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I know you guys can't see me, but definitely when Kira was talking about eating disorders on college campuses, how prevalent they are, like, I am nodding my head aggressively. Like, seriously, like, I see, like, like, maybe not full-blown eating disorders, but just, like, general disordered eating or exercise behaviors like all around me like especially like at Notre Dame like specifically um I do think like just coming to college and like talking to other girls like one thing that's so often talked about is just like oh what are you eating like how are you exercising like oh I should do this type of workout no I should do this type of workout like to look this way or like whatever like um I think there's just so much like diet talk and like yeah, fat talk and like stuff like that. Like people just like criticizing their own appearances and saying like, oh my God, I'm so fat. Like I need to lose weight or something. And like, it can like really be a source of bonding for like girls specifically. Like I am a girl, so I don't know what boys are like, but like, I don't know, just like in my experience, like really like, like girls like bond over like, oh, let's try this diet together. Like, oh, let's do this workout program together. Like something like that. And I think that's like, especially common in um yeah in college um like our age group um just like there's definitely appearance ideals like you have to be young and thin and beautiful and like toned and like stuff like that and I think like at Notre Dame we're like it's a very like high achieving like perfectionist um culture like that same perfectionism applies to your body and what you're eating and how you're moving and stuff like that and I think that can be very very toxic um so so yeah, I think there's in my own experience, like that's definitely like been true for me, like just like being surrounded by people talking about what they're eating all the time and like, okay, not all the time. I'm like, I am exaggerating a little bit, but like, I do feel like it is like very common. And like, I did have friends freshman year who were like very concerned about their appearance and what they were eating and like how they're moving. Like, and I think that kind of like really affected my own perceptions of my own body and like really I got out of touch with like my hunger fullness cues and like what I was eating and like stuff like that so um it definitely affected my own experience and kind of like the development of my own eating disorder I would say for sure and then yeah just in terms of leading these groups and like kind of trying to combat the prevalence of disordered eating and exercise like on our college campus. I don't know, like it just like has really reinforced to me how pervasive these things are. And just like realizing, I mean, I did only facilitate two groups of like 10 to 12 people. So it was like 24 people total. Like that's not that many um, in the context of like the large student population. But like, I do feel like a lot, just like hearing the experiences of the people who participated in that group, like just very like similar to my experiences um just did really strike me as like wow this is super pervasive um so I don't know I just think it's really humbling to realize that and like it's just necessary that we combat that on our college campuses like we all deserve to live a life that's like so much fuller and like freer than like focusing on food and exercise and being insecure about our bodies all the time. Like there's just so much more to life and it's ridiculous that like, we're like so many people are concerned with that. Like, it's just sad. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great point that there's so much more meaning 
to be found in life. You know, that's more than a number, that's more than food, that's more than our perceptions of our bodies and how they might measure up or not to like society's thin ideal. I think that's a really important point. And I think that that notion is super, super like, super aggressive on college campuses, not only because we're surrounded by other people that are our age that are, you know, have similar experiences with society's ideal, but also, like you said, I think Notre Dame specifically a very high achieving, you know, academically rigorous, socially rigorous, um, health and fitness, like rigorous kind of campus that in a lot of ways, and perhaps unknowingly, like perpetuates these ideas of thinness as perfection and as, um, and like just control over our food and like our consumption and our exertion, our physical exertion as well. I think that's, that's really, um, that's a really like poignant thing, I think on college campus, especially Notre Dame's. And I'm curious about your experience working with these, the two groups that you led. If, well, it sounds, you know, as if they reinforced your understanding of what Notre Dame's campus is like in terms of food, in terms of body image, in terms of health and fitness. I'm also curious how coming out of those, um, coming out of those two groups, what that means in terms of your work in the future. Like, did it, were there any um, kind of revelations that you had while leading those groups? If not for the, solely for the fact that it's really like a poignant, urgent issue that we need to address. Um, Yeah. So I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, And also you are just so articulate and I would just like to say that. Thank you for just like really beautifully saying every single thing that I feel, but can't like express well. Um, Okay. But yeah, leading the groups, like definitely reinforced to me, like the pervasiveness of these things. And I definitely want to continue leading groups in the future. So I'm actually, I said this, I'm a senior, but next semester is my last semester, obviously, which is crazy and so sad. Um, so, I mean, I want to lead groups next semester as well. And I'm just really hoping that this be body positive initiative, like I'm really trying to like make it be an initiative. Like I'm like lobbying with McWell, like, please make this a wellness initiative, like, and the UCC and the GRC and like every organization that I can reach out to, like, I'm like really trying to get this to be a long lasting initiative. So that is my goal before I graduate, but we'll see what happens. Um, in the short term, like I'm definitely just hoping to lead groups next uh, semester. So in the spring. Um, so if you're interested, like definitely, definitely, definitely like reach out to me. Like I would literally love to talk to you about it. Like even if you don't feel like fully committing or anything, like I would just love to chat with you and I don't know, hear where you're coming from and like what draws you to the program and like stuff like that and can just tell you more about it. So yeah, just throwing that out there. Um, anyway, another thing that like, I think I took like coming out of the program is, so all of the participants were white females, um, which, you know, makes sense because this group is like historically thought of as struggling with these problems the most. However, like recent research has really demonstrated that skinny white affluent girls are like um not the only group that really struggles with this issue but they're just like predominantly studied and like treated and stuff like that and like 
a lot of um, eating problems and like exercise problems that individuals who identify like as other genders and races and like socioeconomic statuses and whatever, they also really struggle with these um, issues too. And they're just not as studied as often or treated or yeah, whatever. So like, I'm just like really hoping like with these groups to reach like a wider uh, like audience, I guess, like in the spring or like just moving forwards, like really just trying to increase like the diversity of experiences that in backgrounds um, that are coming to the groups because yeah, I just really think that like so often there's like a stereotype, like a stereotypical image of someone um, who suffers from an eating disorder that like pops into your head or like disordered eating or exercise in general. Um, but that stereotype is just totally like misinformed and isn't accurate. So um, I think that's just another thing that I've really been thinking about in terms of like moving forwards with these groups. Um, yeah, it's just like trying to like, yeah, just increase the diversity of um, experiences and backgrounds um, coming to the yeah. group. So <laughs> that's, that's great. And just based on my like preliminary research and I guess understanding of, of eating disorders and who they affect. It's very interesting because I think in a lot of ways, you know, as we progress as a culture and become more digitally inclined and like, there's almost like this alternate language of images. And I know at, at least, you know, for eating disorders, there's a certain image of that's what an eating disorder looks like. That's who it affects. And that's it. Like that is, it's an exclusionary kind of understanding of, of what an eating disorder is and who it affects and what it looks like on a human body. And I think not only has like culture kind of perpetuated that also like modes of culture, I guess. So media such as like film and television, news reports, they have also perpetuated that image of, like you said, it being like a thin, affluent white woman who deals with these issues. And so many other people are affected by eating disorders, disordered eating, you know, negative body image. And I think it's really harmful, you know, this one, like you said, misinformed understanding of what an eating disorder is and what it looks like. And I really applaud you for recognizing that and also doing a lot of work to try to combat that and to try to be more inclusive um, with your work. And I want to ask too, because I remember that we had talked about this in our first conversation about your own research in terms of um, like the diversity of people, I guess, that, that eating disorders affect because um, you had mentioned that you had done some research on it and kind of found some some things that I guess <laughs> I feel like a lot of people uh, that know a little bit about eating disorders don't really know. So I'm curious about what that experience is like doing that research. And I guess too, if that has been very informative in your own, um, you know, navigating these groups and how to make them more inclusive and more um, diversified. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I am like really interested in research. Like I'm a psychology major um, and I love doing research and I'm actually applying to clinical psychology PhD programs literally this week. So that's exciting. <laughs> um, currently working on those applications. Um, but yeah, like I really love re reading research. So like over the summer, 
I like was supposed to have a grant that got canceled because of COVID, which was very unfortunate. Um, but I really like used the extra time to just like really solidify my research interests. I knew I was just really interested in eating disorders um, just because honestly, like it is fun to like learn about myself, I guess, but like also just like um, prevent like others from experiencing the same thing. Like, I just like, do not want anyone, like I want to prevent everyone I can, as many people as possible from like going through the struggle I went through. So it's just like, yeah, eating disorder research is really important to me um, in that way. And then I'm also a poverty studies minor. So over the summer, like I was really kind of thinking about like the intersection between my interest in psychology, my interest in eating disorders, and also my interest in poverty studies. Um, so I began doing like a lot of preliminary research just on like disparities in eating disorders, like in terms of like racial, like racial disparities and treatment access and also just diagnosis in general, um, stuff like that. Like, especially with the events of the past year and blatant um, instances of racial injustice, I really was like, oh, I wonder if there's even racial disparities like in this and like was really shocked, although I probably shouldn't have been to find that there are. Um, and yeah, so African-American people like pretty much have the same rates of eating disorders as white people do, but they're far less likely to be diagnosed or treated, um, which is crazy. And then I also did some research on food insecurity and eating disorders, which is just a really interesting, like random, I thought, like um, intersection of issues, but really there are a lot of people who are food insecure who suffer from eating disorders. Um, and that is especially, yeah, relevant to poverty studies. Um, so really like a lot of my research on these things has been like very preliminary. I was hoping to do something on my senior thesis for it, but because of COVID, like we weren't allowed to collect new data. So I'm doing, um, a project on, body dissatisfaction and eating pathology in the mother-daughter dyad, which is actually really interesting. I'm seeing like if daughters can influence mothers um, in terms of their body dissatisfaction and eating pathology, because it's so often thought to be something that's transmitted from mothers to daughters. But I also wonder like if maybe daughters could have an influence on mothers, like especially in midlife, like women tend to have like elevated rates of body image issues just because their their bodies are aging and like it can be really hard because they still want to conform to like the youth thin ideal as well. Um, so yeah, I'm doing that project, but definitely as I apply to grad school, like I'm thinking more about my long-term research interests and what I'm really interested in. And that is like really diversifying research because a lot of the current eating disorder research is done on individuals like who identify as skinny, white, affluent females. And like that really leaves out the experiences of many people. And there's just not as much research on like individuals who identify as LGBTQ plus or like different races or like aging um, people. So yeah, that's definitely what I'm thinking about. That is all so fascinating. Uh, number one, let's just, I'm just gonna start from where you started talking about like racial disparities in terms of diagnosis, in terms of treatment. That is something I've been really interested about because based on my um, 
preliminary, really like <laughs> really not great research. <laughs> it is a real issue that um, people who are not white <laughs> are not diagnosed. And if you're not diagnosed, you therefore cannot be treated. Like it's, it just becomes this thing that's kind of like, kind of like I, I was talking about before with like this image. And I feel like there's a lot of change that needs to be done in, in um, healthcare as well with, with eating disorders. Also too, um, with regard to like insurance companies and whether or not uh, eating disorder treatment is covered. If it's not in the DSM, and I'm sure you know, you know, being a psych major, if it's not like in the DSM and you know, kind of officially clinically written down, then you cannot like you can't get coverage for it, which I'm sure just excludes a whole host of people who want to get treatment and who need treatment. And that also is something that needs to be like is urgently in need of fixing. Um, you also talked about food insecurity too, which I think is, you know, a very poignant issue right now, especially with the pandemic. Because uh, I know food insecurity has kind of compounded um, and, you know, it's it's worse no matter what, but it's gotten a whole lot worse. The numbers have risen in terms of who who is food insecure. And that has also caused a lot of issues in terms of eating disorder prevalence, worsening, um, it arising, or even disordered eating as well. Um, and then too, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this like this thesis with the with the mother daughter uh, kind of dynamic in eating disorders because that's something I think is weirdly like a part of many people's experiences with eating disorders. Um, but I think it's really fascinating how you're kind of doing like the reverse instead of seeing like a mother's transmission to maybe a daughter, seeing like the opposite. Uh, that's that's fascinating. Um, and I'm really like, I applaud you for, for all of this, <laughs> all of this research and this interest in just kind of hearing like a wide variety of experiences and stories and giving voice, giving, um, giving some kind of explanation to these things. Um, I, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I definitely have a long way to go into understanding like, you know, the intersection between race and eating disorders and like food insecurity and eating disorders and stuff like that. So like, yeah, I am not so super, super knowledgeable about it, but it is just something I'm really passionate about, like really learning more about and like understanding more. Um, so yeah. And I think like you, I, we haven't even talked about like just the pandemic affecting eating disorders. I don't know if you talked about this in other podcast, um, episodes, yeah. <laughs> but I just, I do think like it is just like exacerbating um, so many eating issues. And I think, yeah, your point about like just food insecurity kind of skyrocketing with the pandemic. Like, I wonder like if that has caused like, yeah, um, increases in eating disorder rates as well among those who are now food insecure. That would be interesting to think about, but um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, honestly, it's a super interesting topic and there's not a ton of research on it, unfortunately, because 
we are still in the pandemic, like we're, you know, we're still living in it. Um, but based on what I found, we did an uh, we did an episode on eating disorders in quarantine, and just like you had kind of mentioned before, in terms of where eating disorders thrive, and you had said that shame kind of thrives in isolation, and that's the nature of quarantine, right? You have this rigid social isolation, which not only is against human nature, but is the breeding ground for eating disorders and disordered eating. You also have many people like facing a lot of change, whether it's they have to move home or move to a different place. Those can present a whole host of triggers for people who have struggled. Um, kind of like we were talking about food insecurity and unpredictability. There's also like this rationing of food and like panic buying too. Which can, yeah. And and now all of a sudden too, like grocery stores become a scary place for everyone. <laughs> so now they, you know, people know what it's like to have an eating disorder and to walk into a grocery store and kind of navigate your way through that. Um, and just to like the tremendous stress and turbulence that a global pandemic brings, you know, inherently is, can, you know, exasperate eating disorder issues or give rise to an eating disorder. Um, in my research too, I found that um, the National Eating Disorder Association reported a nearly 80% increase in calls for help during certain months of quarantine, which was compared to like one year before, um, which is just kind of telling of the, of the you know, drastic situation, drastic mental health crisis the country has faced. Um, and I think there was another statistic, let's see. Yeah, so Crisis Text Line, which is a nonprofit organization that provides mental health support by text, saw a 75% increase in conversations about eating disorders in the two, in two months um, after March. And a vast majority of those texters were women and were really young under the age of 17. Um, this wow. is to, like discredit, like, you know, people who don't exist in this, in those categories, but kind of crazy because those are big numbers, you know, 80%, 75% increases, like th those are big numbers. Yeah. Those are scary numbers. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And all your points, those are great points about, yeah, how eating disorders have really or that COVID really presents like ideal, like the ideal circumstances for an eating disorder to like develop right. and like thrive. So yeah, that's right. scary. It's the, it's kind of the perfect storm. And it's interesting to look at environments in which eating disorders can develop worse than, um, also we did an episode on college campuses and, you know, I'm sure, you know, but that also can, you know, conjure up the perfect storm for eating disorders to develop and, and worsen as well. Um, so it's kind of interesting to view the, like the intersection between the environments that an eating disorder develops and, and how that might uh, perpetuate disordered eating, um, body image issues, et cetera. So, yeah. For sure. That's super cool. Yeah. I want to... Um, Let's see. I want to also ask about your role in the health and fitness club. If you want to talk about that a little bit. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, okay. So this year, um, I am president of health and fitness club. So if you're not a member yet, please join. would love to have you. It's a super chill club. Basically we just send out a newsletter 
each week. Um, it just has like a workout of the week, a playlist of the week, inspirational quote of the week, recipe of the week, and um, a scientific study of the week. Um, so it's just fun. Like you just like get some general info on health and fitness related topics and then like workouts if you're interested and music if you're interested, stuff like that. Um, but I've really tried to kind of like change the narrative of the club this year. Like I think like a lot of times, like it's become like less like diet focused and like intense fitness regimen focused over the years, I would say, but, um, or like over the years I've been at Notre Dame, but I think like this year, like I really am just trying to promote like intuitive eating and intuitive movement. So like just intuitive eating, like all foods are good foods. Like just like sending out a wide array of recipes that just like taste good and like satisfy cravings and stuff like that. Um, and also just like, yeah, the main thing being like all foods are good foods, like all foods fit, like all foods energize you, like, um, our fuel. So I'm trying to stay away from like health foods or like good, good foods and good foods and bad foods, um, stuff like that. And then also just in terms of like intuitive movement. So instead of like promoting like specific exercise routines or like workout programs or something like that, just like encouraging everyone to like find what feels good for them in terms of working out and like all there's so many different kinds of movement like literally so many like walking is like great movement for you like dancing like lifting weights like running like um cardio boxing like stuff like that like there's so many different forms of like moving your body that like can feel good for some people and not others and like you just need to find what works for you so like I'm just really trying to promote that um so yeah and just like loving yourself and like committing to health and fitness out of like a love for yourself rather than like a hate for yourself. Um, that's really what I'm trying to do with health and fitness club this year. So, um, yeah, we've done like some cool events actually. Like I said, it's a pretty chill club. It is such a chill club, but like we've done like a couple things. Like we organized like a meeting with like a health coach who's like really like passionate about like intuitive eating and like intuitive movement and stuff. So like members could talk with her like about their own experiences and like how they can practice like intuitive eating and intuitive, intuitive movement in their day-to-day -day life and stuff like especially with limits on college campuses like the dining hall and like you know like the gym's not always open and stuff like that so um, I think that was like a really beneficial um, event for people and then um, yeah actually I just did the be, pod, be body positive stuff through health and fitness club as well so I guess that was like literally the only other event so I'm dead that I said a couple events literally those two things um but yeah other than that we just send a newsletter each week um and I definitely want to do like more next semester in terms of like promoting like other student like I really want to promote this podcast like next semester <laughs> And like other like things that people are doing like on campus that relate to health and fitness club and like the values of health and fitness club and stuff like that um that people can get involved in so like basically partnering with other student groups I think would be super cool but yeah it's a chill club so you should join <laughs> I love that number one I will say I think you're the perfect person to be the president of this club and I think it's so necessary that you know, you're promoting these intuitive eating, intuitive movement um, programs. And I think for anybody who's interested, for any of our listeners who's interested, 
please check this out. Like, and I'm sure we'll do more, you know, collaborations in the future as well. I think that's, I think that's wonderful. I think you are perfect in that role. And I'm so glad that, <laughs> that you are the leader of that club, including the body positive um, thing as well. But we're kind of nearing time. And I just wanted to ask um, two more things in terms of your own personal recovery. Number one, I want to ask, um, who or what are you recovering for? Wow. That's like a super, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. One, like, I really don't like, okay. I definitely did like devote a lot of time to thinking about this. Like when I was like, really like recovery is really a choice. Like it's such a hard choice, like to, to like really override like that eating disorder voice in your head that's just been there for so long like it's just so freaking hard and sometimes it just seems impossible like I literally like I just remember when I was like I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this like I really don't and then every day when you choose recovery like it truly just like gets easier and easier and like it just becomes more and more natural to like yeah just like tune into your healthy self and like be like yeah I want those pancakes like yeah, I want chocolate and peanut butter and whatever. Like, I don't know, like, yeah, I don't feel like moving today. Like ever, like the more you like make those decisions, the easier it gets. So I think like I, in thinking about recovery, like I didn't necessarily like think who or what I'm recovering for. Like I more thought like why recover? Well, I guess like I did, like, I think who recovery is for, it's for me. Like my why for recovery is like, for me, like, I want to have a freer life in which I can like, be more present and like, more myself and like happy and like, not like exhausted all the time and like, really able to pursue things that I'm really passionate about and like, make a difference in the world. Like, so I think like, yeah, that it's really for me, honestly, and like, just learning to like, choose to love myself. And like, I think, I think that's what recovery is to me. It's really like loving myself and like actually trusting myself that like I am worthy um, and I'm enough. So I think like that's definitely a huge thing for me and my why is freedom. Like I just want to be free. Um, But then like, of course, like others in my life who I really care about are also very implicated in my choice for recovery. Like just wanting to be a better friend, like in the midst of my eating disorder, all of my relationships suffered, like with my friends, with my family members. Um, and I knew like, if I continue down this road, like I'm going to have no one, like I'm going to be, I mean, I'm not going to have no one. Like I am very fortunate to have people in my life who love me no matter what, but just like, I'm just going to feel more and more isolated from the people who do love me. Like, it's so much harder for me to like I don't know, like feel like I'm loved by other people, like in the midst of my eating disorder, when like, I just cannot give that my love, that love to myself. And like, it's such a cliche, like you can't love others until you love yourself, I think. Um, but seriously, like that is just like, like rang more and more true for me, like throughout my recovery journey, like as I really prioritize myself, I'm able to give so much more to other people in my life. Um, so I think like, yeah, just for my family, for my friends, and for myself. That's who I am recovering for. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think just 
you know, part of your answer, like for yourself, that's enough. And I think some people, you know, are going to question whether that's enough, but that like, that is enough. And I really appreciate you, you saying that. I think that's, I think that's the perfect answer. Um, And the second thing that I wanted to ask you is, you know, if someone's listening right now, who's dealing with an eating disorder, dealing with disordered eating, dealing with, you know, bad body image, is there something that you would say to them to kind of encourage them seeking help and encourage them seeking healing and recovery, especially as someone who's been through it? Is there something that you might say to them? Definitely. I mean, I would just say first and foremost, like you are not alone, like you are loved and you have all that you need to get through this. Like there is a brighter future ahead of you. Um, I think yeah, when you're in the midst of this, it can just be super, super isolating and like a hopeless place. Like you can feel like there's not like, there's not going to be a better time. Like I'm not going to get through this, but if you, yeah, you can, you have all that you need within you to get through it. And like, just the fact that you're listening to this podcast and like opening yourself up to like becoming more educated on these issues. Um, and like, yeah, just like kind of trying to understand where you're at in your own journey. Like, I think like, that's just a huge step and you're so brave and courageous for even taking that step. Like, I literally think like every step in pursuing recovery is such a big one because it's such a hard one to take. And like listening to this podcast is definitely one step. Um, maybe another day you can really confide in someone, like maybe another day you really pursue seeking treatment, like whatever it is, like every step counts. Um, but yeah, mainly I just want you to know you're not alone. Like, I love you. Like, I don't even know you, but like, I just feel you so much. And like, I just like want, I'm sending all my love to you right now. If you're listening to this and struggling, because it's a tough place to be, but you're not alone and you got it. I don't know. I guess that's what I would say. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I just want to say again, like, thank you so much, Aggie, for being here for, you know, inspiring all of us, inspiring me, inspiring, I'm sure all of my listeners um, from hearing about your story, your mission, your work. It is truly, truly a light in um, a very dark time in our world and a very dark topic um, and dark experiences with those who are struggling with eating disorders. So I so appreciate you taking the time in the midst of, uh, you know, applying to, <laughs> to graduate schools and programs to be here and to spend an hour with us today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, thank you everyone for listening. Like, please don't hesitate to reach out at any time. Like, um, it's been great being on this podcast. Like, I think it's amazing. This podcast is so amazing. And all of you are amazing for listening and yeah, just thank you. Thank you everyone. (laughs) Perfect. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple podcasts, and Google podcasts by 1159 PM each Sunday night. If you miss the live broadcast, which we're no longer doing, but (laughs) feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own story of anorexia, binge eating and body dysmorphia, you can listen on any of these platforms. And please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you are interested in learning more about eating disorders, please visit the National Eating Disorders Association and EDA website at nationaleatingdisorders.org. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment.
disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come between in between that. Treatment did and treatment still does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTIL has its very own Instagram and Twitter account. So if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on both platforms at Heavier Than I Look on Instagram and at HTIL Podcasts on Twitter. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message on either Instagram or Twitter. Do not be afraid to reach out. We would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTIL is a space of healing, of recovery, and of storytelling. Finally, let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now, guys. See you next week.